if I'm explaining the pain that I'm going through, why are you not helping me? Why are you telling me, oh, well, it, it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with you. I'm in pain. I have a whole human being inside my body. I, I, something is going on. That was Athena Robinson talking with Georgia Public Broadcasting about her near-death experience while giving birth. A new report from the CDC reveals that maternal death rates are going up. In 2020, the first year of the pandemic, 14 percent more Americans died in the process of giving birth compared to the year before. The report also found a growing disparity for Black and Hispanic Americans, with Black people dying at three times the rate of whites. This is all taking place during a global pandemic that has strained hospital systems and made even routine procedures a difficult and sometimes dangerous task. But pregnancy-related deaths were going up long before COVID-19. Maternal deaths have almost doubled in the past 30 years, and the U.S. continues to rank last in maternal care compared with other developed nations. After the break, we'll take a look at how the pandemic has impacted maternal mortality. We'll also discuss what's being done to reverse the longstanding trend. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us now is Nina Martin. She's the features editor at Reveal. She was also the lead reporter on the Lost Mothers Project for ProPublica and NPR, which examined maternal mortality in the U.S. Nina, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us, Dr. Reagan McDonald-Mosley, a practicing OBGYN. She's also a board member of Dr. Shalon's Maternal Action Project. That's a nonprofit dedicated to supporting Black people through pregnancy and childbirth. And she's the CEO of Power to Decide, a nonprofit that campaigns to prevent unplanned pregnancy. Dr. Reagan, welcome to 1A. Thank you so much for having me. Nina, I want you to first talk us through this new CDC report and what it found. Well, the report um, looks at deaths in 2020, which was, as you say, the first year of the pandemic in the U.S. And what it found was that maternal deaths in the U.S., which have been on the rise for, as you say, 30 uh, 30 years, um, uh, really spiked in 2020. Um, They jumped about uh, 20% from 2019. Um, 
those deaths, as you say, affected um, uh, black women, uh, particularly the, the death rate for black women um, was uh, three times um, uh, that of white women and uh, actually rose um, 50% from 20, uh, 2018, the same CDC data in 2018. Um, uh, the death rate also rose significantly among uh, Latinas. Um, in the past, uh, uh, Hispanic women have actually uh, had lower rates very often, um, depending on the part of the country that they live in, of maternal uh, deaths and um, severe life-threatening complications. But during the first year of the pandemic, um, the death rate for Latinas rose and it's now comparable to white women. Um, and the, finally, the death rate in the U.S. is globally, death rates rose in the first year of the pandemic. Um, but in the U.K., uh, the death rate is um, about a third of what it is in the U.S. So that sort of tells you that it's not just, uh, it's not happening equally in every part of the world. And when we talk about maternal death rates, we're not just talking about deaths that occur during the process of giving birth. This is really about a certain period of time postpartum as well, right? Yes um, and uh, no. So yes, in terms of the data that the CDC released uh, last month, um, it is based on the international standard, which is set by the World Health Organization, which looks at maternal deaths for six weeks postpartum. Um, and that is a standard that allows death rates around the world to be compared. Um, however, the CDC, um, uh, in its own uh, reports that it other reports that it issues, actually uses a, a slightly different standard, um, a significantly different standard, and that looks at maternal deaths for the first year postpartum. And so, I think the the important thing about this recent report is while it shows a spike in maternal deaths, uh, yes, for the first, uh, for during pregnancy through the first six weeks of uh, postpartum, it actually leaves out a really significant and dangerous period for many women, um, which is uh, the later postpartum period when um, many deaths are likely to occur, especially from heart-related conditions, and those deaths are uh, disproportionately also affect um, black women. Dr. Reagan, this report was from the first year of the pandemic. How have you seen the pandemic impact maternal health care? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's important to note that even before the pandemic, right, that the maternal mortality rates were very high in this country, as Nina points out. And then you overlay the pandemic and how overwhelmed the medical system has been trying to care for people who were very ill with the coronavirus infection, and others who delayed care, not wanting to go to the hospital, so they showed up later with more symptoms or more progressed disease, whether that's a heart attack or a stroke or cancer, right? Um, and so this has left fewer resources for prenatal care and delivery. Nurses and providers at the height of the pandemic were being called to serve in intensive care units and in emergency rooms. And so that let, left less staff to care for pregnant people. Early on in the pandemic, people often um, couldn't bring support people with them to routine visits and for their deliveries. And we know that that can really impact, you know, not having an advocate for you there, a doula, a spouse, a mother. 
um, making sure that you're receiving high quality care and that your needs are being met. Thankfully, many hospitals, most have reversed these policies and now are allowing at least one support uh, person and sometimes two for um, routine visits and deliveries. Um, but we know from research around this that having access to doulas and support people can improve outcomes, particularly for Black women. So this is really important to make sure that we are uh, turning the tide back to the care that's comprehensive and high quality. So you have the pandemic affecting maternal deaths, but are there other factors outside of the pandemic, Dr. Reagan, that, that you think are impacting this as well? Yeah, I mean, we know that, right, that the pandemic has not affected everyone equally, right? We know that Black women and, and Black people in particular and people with lower incomes, um, because they're more likely to be essential workers, have been at a higher risk for getting the, the coronavirus as well. Um, and so that has impacted their risks. Um, and we know that pregnant women are at a higher risk for more serious disease um, than non-pregnant people. So all of these things layered on top are creating this, this terrible nexus with these, with these outcomes that we're seeing. Let's hear from Angela in Bethesda, who had a question. I'm 40, and I just had my second child, and everything was healthy. I did a natural birth. And my question is, is the mortality rate linked to increased risk? Um, concerning more natural births, C-section, or what factors are contributing to the, the spike in mortality? Nina, what factors in hospitals are leading to more deaths? I think that um, the factors that have led to higher rates of deaths in the U.S. overall um, uh, compared to other countries, uh, the hospital-related factors are you know, uh, one really basic one is that hospitals have been very um, unprepared in um, until fairly recently to deal with um, uh, sort of common pregnancy, relatively common um, pregnancy complications. So hemorrhage and um, uh, high blood pressure, hypertension, preeclampsia being being the most common, um, sometimes even infections. And so it's, there's really been a big push in the last few years for hospitals uh, to become more prepared to deal with uh, severe complications when they arise in the hospital. That's one. Another one is, you know, the way that hospitals are sort of structured, the way that they're that they're um, where they're located. Um, there are large parts of the country, rural parts uh, particularly, but also a lot of urban areas, including Washington, D.C., that have maternal, you know, that have maternal care deserts where it's really hard to find um, a delivery, uh, a, a, an OBGYN um, uh, who will take, you know, uh, very often uh, one who'll take the right kind of insurance that you have and then also, uh, or even deliver uh, maternity wards that will deliver. So there's those kinds of um, systemic issues um, that are about uh, the, the, the sort of the, this, where we locate hospitals, who works in hospitals, and how uh, those deliveries are paid for, uh, Medicaid versus uh, private insurance. And then, of course, there's just vast amounts of bias in the system, institutional and implicit individual bias, um, much of it directed at women of color, low-income women, um, of color in particular, black women in particular, but also just gender bias more broadly. Um, and all of these factors in, in hospital systems really uh, affect uh, the quality of care that women, that women get. 
um, you know, and then you uh, and then you send women home. So, <laughs> and then very often in this country, we send women home um, two or three days after they give birth with minimal. Um, uh, support of the medical system. And during the pandemic, honestly, very often, especially early in the pandemic, minimal um, support from family members and friends. Remember, there's a period when we weren't allowed to have anybody in our house. We weren't allowed to see our family members, especially older family members who might provide care for babies. And joining us now is Representative Alma Adams, a Democrat from North Carolina. She's also the co-chair of the Black Maternal Health Caucus. Representative Adams, you have a personal connection to this issue of maternal mortality. How did it impact your family? Well, um, let me just say that, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, my daughter um, was impacted uh, she, 16 years ago, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, she had preeclampsia, but we, we, we weren't aware of what was going on, and she had an emergency C-section. Uh, she was complaining of pain in her stomach, and of course, the doctors didn't pay much attention to it and told her to initially to just go home and lie down. So I think that oftentimes we uh, we find, and that's the reason that um, we're working on this issue in the Congress, uh, that um, there's a lot of bias, and sometimes uh, folks in the medical profession don't e- aren't even aware that they have it, and uh, they really don't listen to women, and that, that's what happened with, with my daughter. Of course, uh, we, we almost lost her, and my granddaughter as well, and she just turned 16, so I'm just glad that things turned out a little differently for her, but it, it doesn't happen for all women. As you've been talking to families about their experiences in pregnancy care, what have you been hearing? from them, Representative? Well, they're telling me that, um, you know, I'm telling them, listen, listen to your body. Uh, you know, um, if, if there's a pain and that kind of thing, don't ignore it. But they're telling me a, a lot of the times that uh, doctors are ignoring, they're not paying a lot of attention uh, to them. Um, they're kind of whisking it aside. Well, and, and I also think that sometimes we think that uh, women of color, black women, uh, can stay in pain more. I don't know why people think that necessarily. Our pain is just like everyone else's. Uh, but they, they they basically feel like um, doctors and medical professionals professionals are really not listening and uh, to what their what their bodies are telling them. So that's uh, kind of the problem. And this is why we need to make sure that we address the issues. Uh, head on. And that's why we've put these bills together. And um, we know that it's going to make a difference for for women. And you're referring there to the Momnibus legislation. I want to get to that in a moment. But Dr. Reagan, when we think about the larger issues in medical care and cultural competency, um, how issues like identifying pain intersect with gender and race. What do you see in the medical community and, and how how they're confronting these issues? Yeah, thank you for that question. And, you know, what Representative Adams experienced with her daughter, that's exactly what the research is showing. There was an article published actually right before the pandemic hit in 2019 called the Giving Voice to Mothers Study um, that documented inequities in mistreatment during pregnancy and childbirth. Um, And this study reported that almost 20% of all women reported mistreatment, but this was much higher, 30% for women of color with lower um, incomes. And, you know, and this does bring in the intersection of race, 
and the role of racism and bias in our healthcare system, um, as well as income uh, disparities. And so it's really important that, that healthcare systems are doing the work to identify systemic racism and interpersonal racism um, and to understand um, the ways that these things play a role in the care that we give and the outcomes that are coming. Nina, I was also really fascinated in your reporting by the way there's been an increased uh, level of attention on infant care and infant health, but maternal care has not mirrored that that same focus. Can you explain that a bit? Yes. Um, uh, it's true that um, over a period of time, um, uh, lawmakers and doctors and, and the healthcare system in general became really sort of concerned about reducing rates of, mater- of infant mortality um, and preterm birth, which are very much higher than rates of maternal mortality, to be to be fair, um, and that sort of became the focus of a lot of maternal care over a period of decades in this country, um, to the point where where uh, maternal health was really in many in many uh, hospitals, in many medical schools, in many many places, sort of thought of um, by the people running those institutions as being primarily, but really about in saving the infant, making sure that the baby gets out a healthy baby. And I think that the way that we treat women um, uh, during you know pr- uh, during the postpartum period is a really great example of that. We don't. Um, once the baby's out, we send them home and with, with very little attention to the mom and whatever health problems she may develop during that period. Um, there's, you know, infant health checks very early on and right after birth. Um, and moms um, typically haven't gotten to see a doctor until six weeks after they give birth. So there's that is just an example of the, of the sort of the pervasive sort of um, way that the healthcare system in this country, the research system in this country, really started to really focus on babies more than moms, and it's taking um, it's taken a, a, a lot. It's a huge shift in our in our thinking in our in our cultural thinking um, to kind of turn that around. In part because mothers also care deeply about their babies, and um, women um, are are sort of absolutely prioritize the health of their babies and their families before they prioritize the health their their own their own health. Representative Adams, I, I want to turn to the Momnibus legislation. It's a series of 12 bills designed to address the maternal health crisis. What does the Momnibus hope to do? Well, certainly we hope to address some of the issues that we're talking about right now. Uh, bias, making sure that the social determinants of health are also addressed uh, by uh, women so, so that they can leave the hospital with their babies and babies don't go home without their mommies and those kinds of things. But this bill uh, now uh, was uh, <clears throat> was introduced uh, two years ago this week in 2020 uh, because the state of maternal health in this country is a crisis. And when we think about it, uh, the situation is really worse than it was uh, for uh, uh, Black women uh, than it was 25 years ago. And so uh, we introduced the Momnibus that same week. Of course, we went into lockdown uh, because of COVID, and we had to do a lot of work to keep this a part of the conversation. The first uh, Momnibus bill was signed into law just a month or two ago. That's the Protecting Protecting Moms Who Served Act. Served Act, yes, absolutely. And all of the other bills, of course, were a part of the 
uh, Build Back Better package. We, we had all of them there, uh, but most important is that they are all eligible provisions uh, of the Momnibus, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get those bills through. They've stalled in the Senate, many things have. Uh, but we hope that <clears throat> we'll be able to continue this because it, uh, health care is, is not a partisan issue. Uh, this is not a partisan issue as we talk about women and their babies and trying to make sure uh, that not only they get the attention that they need, but that we deal with the medical profession and make sure that they understand what's needed. Build Back Better will, uh, as I said, I mean, the um, omnibus will address a lot of the social determinants of health that influence maternal health outcomes, such as helping to fund these community-based organizations that are working to improve the mental uh, health outcomes, mater maternal health outcomes. Uh, it will diversify the perinatal workforce to improve uh, this care and so forth. It's going to invest in culturally competent health professionals by addressing some of these at, at historically black colleges and universities, and then climate change. Uh, which has been uh, very impactful in terms of a negative way on mothers. And so this is a comprehensive approach, we think, to the crisis and something that has never been tried before. Uh, we think it's a, it's a good thing, and we're going to continue to move, uh, move Momnibus because mommies just can't wait. And I just want to mention that the Protecting Moms Who Served Act, which was signed into law in November of last year, it puts $15 million into maternity care for military veterans. Deb emails, my son's girlfriend had preeclampsia. Our county maternity ward was closed, so the ER transported her to the next county. My son wasn't allowed to visit because her sister took her to the hospital. Her mental health wasn't taken care of, and she passed away before the baby was two months old. And Betsy tweets, I'm a white woman, but I was sent home in heart failure after saying I couldn't breathe. I asked about postpartum asthma. They removed flowers. I was at high risk at a high-risk facility. A chest scan or cardio consult would not have resulted in me going home. Thanks for both of those messages. We're discussing why pregnancy-related deaths continue to climb. We spoke to Representative Alma Adams, a Democrat from North Carolina and co-chair of the Black Maternal Health Caucus. She had to step away for a vote, but we appreciate her time. We're discussing America's maternal mortality crisis. We'll be back with more after the break. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Jo knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our conversation about how the pandemic is affecting pregnancy-related deaths. Sarah emailed, after the baby is no longer in your body, you are not worth anything in our society. I wasn't able to have my postpartum appointment until eight weeks after delivery. By that time, I had sunk into deep postpartum depression and developed postpartum OCD, for which I required additional medication and intensive therapy. 
And I want to circle back to the email we got from Lizzie, who says, what I find both appalling and completely predictable is that this lack of care for pregnant and postpartum women is happening in concert with the GOP's push for every pregnant woman to issue a child. Dr. Reagan, how does access to birth control and abortion impact this issue? Yeah, I'm so glad that your uh, listener who emailed that, you know, has really made an important link that I feel like is really absent about from a lot of the conversations about rising rates of maternal mortality. Um, for sure, there's been a lot of focus on the fact that there's not a, enough providers, there's a lack of support to access for comprehensive postpartum supports, and widespread bias and racism in the system, as we've discussed. But simultaneously, we are seeing attacks on people's ability to get other reproductive health services. And it's important to note that it's all linked. People do not experience pregnancy in isolation, but a part of their whole reproductive life course, right? So divestments in places where people go for other critical services like preventive care, contraception or abortion are the same places that people go for preconception care, early prenatal care to get linked to services. And so by shuttering those doors, we're providing less services and support for people who need it in our country the most, less opportunities for referral for high-risk prenatal care, for mental health services, as your caller said, et cetera. And research has shown this, that states with the most restrictive abortion policy climates also have higher maternal mortality rates. Well, I want to play a voicemail we got from Jenny in California. I'm glad you guys are doing a show on maternal mortality rate. And I'm hopeful that you're going to talk about the movement within the Black community to create a ton of Black doulas. And I'm so proud that many of my friends have become doulas. They are Black doulas, and they are rocking. They are just rocking this world and rocking this problem and and solving this problem, bringing attention to the people of color that are giving birth. And a doula is someone trained to provide uh, support emotionally and physically throughout the birthing process, but they're not a medical provider. And we also got this email from Audrey, who says, I hope you discuss the rates and logistics of home births in the United States compared to other countries. I had two successful, healthy home birth experiences staffed with certified nurse midwives. There are so many barriers to home births based on regulations in the state you live and your insurance coverage. And Dr. Reagan, can, can you speak to that? How much of this depends on where you live? It very much depends on where you live and many places where people want to give birth in a birthing center, that just isn't an option close to them. It also depends on your insurance. Um, if, if someone has private insurance, for example, it may pay for them to have birth in a birthing center, but if they have certain types of Medicaid, it may not, right? And if someone doesn't have insurance at all, it could be even more complicated. And so we you know, are investing in the sort of a hospitalized doctor-based system where we need to be really doing the opposite and, and giving people more options um, when it's safe and appropriate for them to consider birthing in a birthing center or at home when appropriate and to have the community levels of support to do that in a healthy way. And when we talk about access, Nina, this week Vox reported a wave of maternity wards are closing their doors across the country and those closures rose sharply during the first year of the pandemic. What was your takeaway from that piece? Well, I think that that piece shows... Um, uh, demonstrates what I've talked about more broadly, which is that there are the disruptions in the maternal care system uh, caused by the pandemic have been um, much broader than uh, than many people understand, and that they affect things like the access to maternal care um, through maternity wards in rural areas and in some cities as well. That that hospitals are shutting down their OBGYN departments or their their uh, de- labor delivery departments in some cases. 
um, without necessarily in those same areas establishing birthing centers and um, the kinds of facilities and the kind of support networks that Reagan has just been talking about. Um, you know, another thing that happened during the pandemic is uh, sort of a move to telemedicine. And um, that was great in a lot of ways. It allowed women who frequently before perhaps couldn't have gone to an appointment because they couldn't get away from work or they couldn't find childcare to their, for their children to, um, uh, in theory, to be able to go to an appointment. But of course, it depended on having access to Wi-Fi and a computer and um, and and it also wasn't necessarily at all the best system for women with um, sort of more complicated pregnancies or complicated postpartum periods and mental health and physical health problems. One thing we haven't really talked about is um, uh, the fact that so many women come into pregnancy in this country with uh, very complex health uh, 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 health problems, diabetes, heart problems, uh, pre-existing high blood pressure that are not treated adequately before pregnancy because they do not often, ha many of them don't have access to good medical care. Many of them are the rate of um, even before all the, the cuts and sort of slashing to reproductive services we've seen um, happen over the last year, even before then, um, unplanned pregnancies accounted for about half of pregnancies in the U.S. And so women would not necessarily know that they were often that they were pregnant until um, well into their first trimesters. Mm -hmm. And so the lack of and, and ha coming into pregnancy with these complicated um, conditions um, uh uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a really good sign that you're going to have a, the chances are excellent that you're going to have a, a complicated pregnancy. And we, we just don't have a system that's set up for, for that. We got this tweet from one of you who says, my growing baby was huge and I'm barely five feet tall. I felt from an early point that I would likely need a C-section but had to fight my doctor for one. She only agreed when my husband spoke up for me. And we got this message from another member of our text club who asks, how can we better advocate for ourselves and our loved ones? And Dr. Reagan, I'll, I'll come to you on this. We have one person saying it wasn't enough for me to say that I think this is what I need. And another person saying, how do I help? Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing with sort of the lack of quality services writ large, particularly for Black women in this nation, is that oftentimes there are places where they're not getting enough care. And then there's also documentation that there's sort of overuse of resources and overuse of unnecessary surgeries and other respects. And so we really just need to redesign the system um, to prioritize healthy outcomes for people and babies, right? I think I'm really struck by the comment of your li listener around the lack of urgency around this. Um, we're a nation with enormous resources, right? And we could solve this if there was the political and social will to do so. Um, we need to be investing in more providers and changing the system to incentivize the right things, healthy outcomes for moms and babies, um, rather than the system right now, which sort of incentivizes fee-for-service model or doing things to people, a system that incentivizes people actually to do more C-sections in some respects. And there have been two studies that came out recently in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, once in, uh, one in January, another in February, and both um, with different study designs showed a higher rates of C-sections for Black women, even when controlling for other factors like weight and other health issues. Um, so that just, again, speaks to the overuse of, of resources in some respects. And then again, just valuing uh, people's voices. We know our bodies best. We know when something's wrong with us. If we're saying we're in pain or something's not right, um, providers need to listen to that. 
That's Dr. Reagan McDonald-Mosley, a practicing OBGYN. She's also the CEO of Power to Decide, a nonprofit that campaigns to prevent unplanned pregnancy. Also with us, Nina Martin, the features editor at Reveal. We'll provide a link to her reporting. Thanks to you both. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.